All right, not a lot of sports over the last two months, but we did get some golf and some really big names in the game of golf. BA, you were lucky enough to call that event this past weekend. What was it like to be um, to be kind of in charge of that thing and, and see these superstars come together for a good cause? Yeah, in charge would not be the right word. I was uh, definitely the uh, the low man on the totem pole and in, in the middle of all those alpha dogs. Um, but it was great. It was it was wet. I mean, it was extremely soggy. And uh, of course, uh, the rain wreaked havoc with kind of what we did as a, a production, but we still were able to pull it off. It was a bit of a miracle that we were able to not only get it on TV, but all of our equipment worked, which is all basically RF equipment, wireless equipment. So it was a lot of fun uh, for me, maybe just the, the moral of the story in all of that. Obviously, the ratings were huge. You had big personalities, but um, it was a collaborative effort, not just the way we normally do it, Jen, where we're covering athletes, but they were totally involved in the TV picture and, and our perspective and what would be good entertainment. And so from day one when the meeting started to when we got on the site Friday and then obviously as we got on the air Sunday, it was a collaborative effort with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and all of our production staff and all the broadcasters. So it was a really fun event. We raised a ton of money. To think about $20 million in a single afternoon, that's real money that actually went to real meals that went to real food in somebody's mouth instantly and just to think about 20 million in an afternoon just blows me away and I'm really honored to be a part of it. Can you talk a little bit about you know it was the match and then it Mm -hmm. kind of shifted to incorporate the element of raising funds for COVID? Yeah it was a bit of a and all of that was kind of the idea going in uh, just for a little bit of a background the original match um, now, they used to play the Skins game back in the day in the 80s, and that was a big event, 80s and 90s. We, we kind of took that idea, had the, the match, uh, which was Thanksgiving of 2018, and that was just Tiger and Phil competing against each other, and it was a big gambling thing, and you could gamble on it, and the winner got $9 million. The loser, the, the second-place finisher got a $1 million. Uh, and so it just it had, like, I don't want to call it a seedy feel to it, but it's like, eh, that's cool. I like watching these guys compete. But they transitioned a little bit to, and I give the players the credit here, Tiger, Phil, and the two quarterbacks, uh, Tom Brady and, and Peyton Manning. Immediately, uh, the purse was theirs. It's a $10 million purse. You win what you win. You, you take home what you take home. But they all decided collectively um, before any, any other plans were made that they would donate the $10 million to – a COVID relief fund. And then we had to put together, you know, the four main charities that were part of our COVID relief fund, small businesses, the all-in-one challenge. Um, you had the Red Cross uh, and then Feeding America. So I think once that started, that kind of spurred on this this whole Jerry Lewis telethon feel. So it was a bit of a sporting event. And for me, you know, as the quarterback, I'm trying to navigate between the tote board and how much money we're raising and all the auctions and the the sweepstakes raffle that was going on. So we started at 10 million. We thought we'd probably get to 13, maybe 14 if everything went well. And then all these executives and Russell Wilson and JJ Watt, Alex Rodriguez, they started throwing in their own uh, donations. And next thing you know, I think we got to 19.6 million. 
And we were not going to go out there with a check that was less than 20. So Turner Sports threw in whatever was left, took it right out of Charles Barkley's paycheck, which he'll never notice. So it was all good. 20 million was the even number. Remarkable. Can you tell us a story uh, for people who weren't able to see the event on television but have heard about how awesome it was? Can you tell us a story from the day that will stick with you for a while? Uh, well, I mean, I think what I touched on earlier, just behind the scenes, the collaboration. Um, and then on camera, there were two probably great moments that, that I'll remember. And for me, as a kind of a tech nerd, and Jen, you know me, it's like I'm all into the like behind the scenes and how the cameras work and all of our equipment that we have. But uh, that really showed up in two moments. So Tom Brady is struggling. Here's this six-time Super Bowl champion, the greatest quarterback of all time. The guy's one life. I mean, he's married to Giselle, for crying out loud. He's got three beautiful children. <laughs> he literally has not failed at anything he's ever done, right? Um, so here he is just hacking it all over the golf course. He cannot hit a fairway. He's out of bounds. He's counting his strokes on one hand and going over to a second hand. It's just like, this is crazy. This is so relatable that we are all in Tom Brady's position if you play golf. So it all kind of comes to a head on the seventh hole. And he hits his tee shot on the cart path way out of, out of play. And Charles Barkley, who has the worst golf swing in the history of mankind, is my partner on this event. He and the Masters champion, Trevor Immelman. And Charles just gets super frisky with Tom because they have earpieces and they can listen to us. And so we're having communication with these guys and Charles just flat out says, I could take you on, Tom. I'm ready to beat you. I'll give you strokes if you want. So Charles Barkley, who finishes dead last every year at all the celebrity events he plays in, he's now teeing up Tom Brady, the greatest competitor in NFL history, and saying, basically, I'm better than you. Um, and that, like, he could have crumbled. I thought Tom either is going to, like, step in, fire up, and play well, or walk off the course, and it's going to be a threesome the rest of the way. And then he makes it. And he makes the shot. He holds out from probably 120 yards. And that was his fourth shot, by the way. It wasn't even – he'd been out of, you know, out of play in his tee shot. So he makes this shot. And I don't know if there's a family show watching here, but he immediately turns to the camera that's positioned <laughs> on the cart, which is an RF camera. And he goes, suck it, Chuck. <laughs> so that was the best. I just love that. And Charles is laughing. And then Brooks Kepka, the four-time major championship winner, sent a tweet out like, I bet Tom Brady can't make a par, a hundred grand if he makes a par. I mean, how insulting for a really good player that he can't make a par on the front nine. And so it was all just like came to a head. That, that was one moment. The other was the Phil Mickelson when he drove the green at 11. Um, he just like knocked it over the trees. He thought he was hitting it into the woods. Uh, but we had the top tracer technology. It's pouring down rain. Uh, the microphone's on, his earpiece is in. And he doesn't know the result of it. He literally drove it right over the flag stick onto the green, 316 yards. Dude's almost 50 years old, and he's, like, still hitting it as far as anybody. And uh, when he, like, turned the corner around that dog leg and we're communicating with him and he sees where the ball is, he just went nuts. And he had this cool moment. I tweeted about it, but he's got this catchphrase, you know. He goes, Phil Mickelson hitting bombs. And so that's, that was like a funny moment. I kind of teed him up. I go, Phil, you were hitting. And he answered it. He finished the sentence. So uh, I love it because of the entertainment and the laughs. I also love it because all of our stuff worked at that point in a driving rainstorm in South Florida. So it was kind of the culmination of uh, all of that together.
Throughout your career, you've had opportunities to be around and see so many athletes doing good, um, whether it's being a part of Vince Lombardi Cancer Foundation that you were out or throughout the whole country. What has been your perception of these athletes continuing to utilize their platform for good? Well, I mean, I see it all the time every day. I see a lot of stuff uh, that doesn't make the air or is not in the media either. I mean, I'll, I'll give Ryan Braun as an example. I mean, he, he does so much that nobody really knows about, and he wants to keep it that way. Bob Euchre's another guy like that. You know, Bob Euchre, he has his Make-A-Wish Foundation donations and things that he does for that, but there's so much that he does, even the, the daily walk for those guys. So, you know, you see both sides. I've seen athletes who simply want to just have their name on it, show up when it's time for the photograph, and then they don't really engage. And I think that's okay. You know, that's if they have families, if they're busy, their name matters, and they can raise a lot of money. But the ones who get fully invested, uh, like Mason Crosby, um, he's a guy that I admire a lot. We're from the same hometown in Texas, and I have a great amount of respect for him. And he doesn't have to step out into these areas. Aaron Rodgers is another guy. You know, we did a video series with Aaron and David Gruber called um, itsaaron.com and it's Aaron. And Aaron was totally invested in that. And you might remember he's knocking on the doors of these people and they would open the door and say, oh my God, it's Aaron. So that was yeah. the whole point behind that. But he did a lot more than just what showed up in those videos. And that ran for three seasons. And uh, the guy, Greg Marshall, who produced that, um, won a bunch of Emmy Awards, and it was really cool. But, you know, I'm kind of always looking for the athlete that's not just invested when the cameras are on or when the writers are there. I'm looking for the guys who are, who are invested when nobody knows about it. And, of course, I don't know about a lot of those opportunities. But you can see, you can tell, guys with the Brewers – um, you know, they always rope off behind home plate for batting practice. And, you know, there's guys who have people there all the time, just representing different charities, different nonprofits, or just, you know, doing good wherever they can. So to be able to use that platform and amplify that message with their uh, huge following uh, just only makes these things and these charities and the people who are actually putting these pieces together and able to execute um, I think a lot of people want to donate. There are very few that actually can put it into play and execute, like Feeding America, immediately just putting all this money directly into play uh, because of their, because of their um, allotment and what they have in all their stations across the country. So that's kind of the connection that I'm always looking for with these athletes. B.A., we're living in such unusual times right now, but I recently read an article about some of the ways that you're giving back during this COVID-19 pandemic, and it's reaching out to aspiring broadcasters, people who are interested in this industry. How did that get started, and why are you doing that? Well, you know, I'm sure you get a lot of these same emails, and you get reels, and you, you know, people who have achieved a certain level of success, you know, we're kind of the lifeblood for those who are coming up, and for me, I've always done that, and I had a lot of help when I was coming up, and I've got people that I just respect so much. Marty Brenneman was one of them, uh, the Hall of Fame voice of the Reds, a guy named Mark Holtz, uh, Dave Barnett. So these are all guys that really took me in and helped me be a better broadcaster, and their message was always, you know, make sure you do this for somebody one day. So I've always done that, but there's limitations. I travel, and I'm gone, and I'm doing all these games, and I don't have a chance to do – 
as much as I want. And, and I love teaching. I, I love the industry and love talking about the industry. Uh, but I can't do it to the level that I have been during the shutdown. So basically, I'm, I'm looking in the abyss of uh, this quarantine and thinking, all right, what can I do here? And as I've been saying, I, I just wanted my motto is kind of replace the selfish with the service. So let's how can I serve? My expertise is in broadcasting. And so let me try to serve in that area. Um, and so that's what I've done. And I've, I've been speaking at a lot of uh, universities, Zoom chats, uh, just going into their lecture halls with professors. Um, I've got one later today, as a matter of fact, with Syracuse University. So when I do those, I give my email address out and my brewer's email address. And then they've been coming in and man, they've come in like, like the fire hydrant is open. So I've been just creating a challenge, like competitive with it. You know, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to get four in today. And so, and I do, I have like three to do today and I, I want to do it. And I really enjoy it. I'm, I'm amazed by the talent that's out there. Um, and I try to dive in more to the mental side of it. You know, again, I, I don't think many people talk about that part of it. Uh, when we go on camera, even what you guys are doing here and you're front facing and you're putting yourself out there and, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, especially when you're just starting out and you just see yourself for the first time or hear yourself for the first time. You're, you're, you're stripped down. I mean, you're vulnerable. You're putting yourself in a really awkward position. You're setting yourself up for ridicule, especially with all your friends who are like, oh, man, what are you doing? And for me, I was a total hillbilly when I started. So I'm like, here I am. I'm going to call a baseball game. Shit, man, that's going to be fun. So, you know, I had to like totally work through all that. And that's where I like to live in that space of trying to let these students or young broadcasters know that what you're doing is hard. What you're doing is great. It's fun. And it can be a great career, but it's also really difficult. And you got to push through. Uh, a lot of those demons, especially in the social media age when everybody wants to take their shots. Without a doubt. Um, Brian, I just think I commend you for your passion, for your family, for your faith, um, for the career and for giving back. I, I know Thank Jen you. and you talked um, about um, giving back to broadcasters, but I think of so many things that I know that you have done that, as you were saying earlier with athletes that don't get um, credit um, or don't do it publicly, but I think it's important. And if you can talk about it, you know, finding that, finding what you're authentically passionate about to be able to go and then give back in that area. Well, I appreciate that. And um, I, 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 I'm thankful you brought that up and I don't, I don't uh, parade it around too often, but my faith is really important to me. And I will talk about it whenever, whenever I'm asked about it. And, and I, it wasn't always that way for me. You know, I wasn't in the faith as a kid growing up and I really didn't come to even know the Lord until I was uh, in my professional career. Matter of fact, I used to go to baseball chapel. That was like the first church I'd ever really been to. And this is, you know, 1996, 1997. Uh, matter of fact, former Brewers manager Ron Renicky was the manager of that minor league team that invited me to those wow. to those uh, those things. So he and I have a long connection. But I, I will say this: just uh, and I don't I don't want to be preachy ever, and I don't want to have. I, I, I see faith being hijacked in a lot of areas in our life right now, and I don't like that. Uh, I don't want to see that. And so it, for me, the statement and the motto and it applies to everything I do in broadcasting and certainly everything I do in life and with my family is John 3.30. It's I must decrease so he can increase. 
And in that case, meaning God, but I use it for everywhere. So I must decrease so others can increase. Going into a broadcast, I know I have to step down and allow people their moments and quarterback those moments as the play-by-play announcer and make sure my head's on a swivel and my ears are open and that I'm trying to recognize and understand what everybody's perspective is. I don't do it right all the time, um, but that's my goal is to try to do that. So that applies to everything, not just my career, but my family, uh, how we give and decide to give and want to be charitable, how we choose to amplify certain things and the encouragement uh, piece of that. And uh, just being on with you guys today, you guys are doing great things. I mean, Jen's a star in the industry. Shelly, you've started this company like you're, you guys, you're strong women doing great things. And that's, you're the kind of people I want my daughter to emulate. And that matters to me. And she's 20 now. And so when I see that, I want to lean into that. That's why, that's why I try to get involved whenever I can. And whenever I hear things like this, or, you know, somebody's doing a a good thing that I'm, I want to back and I believe in, I want to be a part of it. That is so nice of you to say, B.A. Really appreciate that. It means a lot coming from you. Um, One of the things you referenced that I'm intrigued by is at the beginning of the career, we're talking about confidence and just finding your own voice. And yet on the other side of that spectrum is ego, which we see a lot in this industry as well. How have you been able to find a nice balance of the two where you're confident in what you do and who you are, but like you said, you're still able in those big moments to let others around you shine. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with just thinking inside out as opposed to outside in. So, you know, from a technical, mechanical standpoint, if you're, if you're focused on the game, in my case, as a play-by-play announcer and the plays, and if you're thinking about it as, and it's a real simple idea, but if you remember the Laverne and Shirley assembly line when the beer bottles are going by. And (laughs) so that's the point, like the beer bottles are going by, fill them, cap them, move to the next one. And if you're not filling them, capping them, move it to the next one. And you're thinking about, well, what are they thinking? What are they saying about me? I wonder what Twitter's saying. I wonder what's uh, Instagram. I wonder, did I mess that up? Did I say that right? Was I really good? Wow. I'm digging myself. Like all of those thoughts are going to take you away from those beer bottles on the assembly line and you're going to have a mess on your hands. So it's really simple as that. And it's, it's easy to say, and it's really hard to do, but the best broadcasting I've ever done is when I've just, I've put the blinders up and been totally in the moment and whatever I say, whatever comes out of my mouth, I'm giving myself the leash to say, it's okay. You're going to live with it. Trust your ad lib. Okay. To make mistakes. I've made plenty on really big stages. Um, but I've also had some triumphs on big stages too. And whatever it is, just let it be. And it's going to be that way. So try to stay in the, in the now, in the process. And that's what I mean by inside out. Because if you start getting distracted and hearing those voices and trying to extract those voices out of your head, that's what usually tears up everybody in every industry, but especially our industry as broadcasters. Um, because we, we have a lot to deal with. And you're staring in lights and you're staring at... Like, you know, your voice is going to be the soundtrack of this moment. You don't know if this particular moment's going to be a moment, but it might be. Um, mm-hmm. And you have to be ready for that. So that, that's really the main point. You've got to treat it back to a faith perspective, the audience of one, right? If I put in the time, the prep, and I've prepared, and I'm ready to, you know, just give it what I can give it, really the only thing that matters is what God thinks about you and 
the audience of one. And if you can kind of keep that as a perspective, you'll, you'll be all right. Sometimes I think my audience of one is uh, Bob Euchre. So I kind of say, well, what would Bob Euchre say here? But mostly it's God, but sometimes Bob Euchre. So, and, and, and like this weekend, it was Charles Barkley. So, you know, sometimes I, I take liberties with that, which is blasphemous, but I'll, I'll do that anyway. I think what's so refreshing is that it's so obvious that you still enjoy it. That while it's a job and it's your identity, or at least part of it, um, you still get so much enjoyment out of being a part of these big moments, these big scenes, these sporting events. And it comes through in your voice, BA. So kudos to you for maintaining that for all these years. Well, you know, and here's another thing that I, I tell a lot of these young broadcasters that it, we, it, when you're starting out, you really want to make a name for yourself and you want to be recognized. And that's the hardest thing to fight. Um, and so what I try to say, and I, and I really mean this, and I've put it in my own career and my bag as well, is that you want to be more interested than interesting. And it's, it's a kind of a cliche, but it really is true. And if you're interested in everything you're doing and everything that's happening in front of you and the people that are around you, and I'm not even just talking about on the air or the game that's in front of you, but I'm interested in Paul Kelly, our audio guy, and I'm interested in our producer, Dan Keener, and and their lives and our audio guy, Eric West, like that matters to me. And so if you can stay interested every day and show up at every moment that rolls by and you're interested and not having this idea that, wow, I really need to be interesting here. The last thing I needed to do at the match with Charles Barkley, Justin Thomas, fourth ranked player in the world, master <laughs> champion, Trevor Immelman, the quarterbacks. I don't need to be interesting. I just need to make sure we get to commercial on time and read the stupid promos and make sure the telethon's working and then shut up. So like, that's my point. I'm interested in everything else. And if you just do that, I think you'll find that you will become interesting because you're enthusiastic and interested about other people. And so that's something that I try to do every day, every day when I wake up, I'm going to, what can I be interested in today? And right now you guys I'm interested in. So that's important. And we'll go to the next thing. The next beer bottle's coming at, at some point. <laughs> I love the beer bottle analogy, but <laughs> that's because you know Laverne and Shirley. See, a lot of people don't know that reference. <laughs> yes, yes. And it's a Milwaukee reference too, which is great. As soon as yes. you said conveyor belt though, I started thinking of uh, I Love Lucy where the chocolates yeah, are coming. Same, 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 same principle. I think, I think Gary Marshall stole that from I Love Lucy for sure when he created uh, Laverne and Shirley. Same point. We're yeah. old. We're so old, you guys. <laughs> but it's fun. That's the truth. It's so fun. <laughs> well, BA, we appreciate you taking the time and we value what you do both on air but also off the air. And, and thank you for um, all that you have done and all that you will do. Oh, thank you very much. Knuckle five here. Be strong. Way to go. Way to do your thing, girls. 